Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Look, football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, it's in full swing. And guess what's right around the corner? Baseball. And the only way you place that you should be betting on any of these sports is at BetOnline.ag. Not into sports? No big deal. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. It has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And, of course, that 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or your mobile device right now to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's only at betonline.ag. Betonline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. I'm so happy and grateful to have an excellent guest to talk some White Sox baseball here with me today. It's NBC Chicago's own Ryan McGuffey. Ryan, how are you today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. Uh, happy to be here and uh, always happy to talk baseball because it makes me think uh, a lot warmer weather. Yeah, we're it's it's right around the corner. It's slowly happening. The balls are starting to fly out of the yard a little bit. Before we get into some diamond talk, let's just kind of start off with I like to ask all my first time guests, just kind of walk the listener through a little bit. You know, your Midwest roots all the way up to MB, uh, NBC Sports Chicago. Yeah, sure. I uh, you know I grew up uh, in the region, so they say, and in Northwest Indiana. So my roots and my 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 love for for sports has always been Chicago sports. Diehard White Sox fan as a kid. Uh, knew I wanted to. Be, I grew up in the Jordan years, like in the '80s. So, I mean, I, I just you know the '85 Bears, all that. All I got a taste of all of that um, as a fan. I knew early on I wanted to be in something to do with sports and television. Uh, from like a very very early age, five or six years old, you know, broadcasting and Nintendo games and stuff. So, <laughs> um, yeah, always played sports. Was an athlete through college. Def, like that was my background communications and then just kind of fought my way in the door and knocked it down once I got in there. And, and I've been covering, you know, Chicago sports since 2001 and um, you know, a lot of highs, a lot of lows and a lot of in-betweens. And um, it's been, a, it's been a, an incredible ride. Uh, I've, I've become more of a storyteller and documentarian over the years, um, which I really love. It's, it's a true passion of mine. So being able to kind of humanize these guys in a way that we can relate to them, because at the end of the day, you know, they all wake up the exact same way. They put their pants on the exact same way. They just happen to be a walking lottery ticket. That's the way I say it. And some guys are, are, are better guys than others. And some guys you can do without. Um, but the whole journey, is, it's just been incredible. So to, to kind of mix all of the things I grew up with, the passions I had, and then to kind of make a career out of it has is, is really been, uh, you know, a lottery ticket in itself some, in some ways. And that's part of the beauty of why I love sports as well is there's probably been, what, a thousand two to one baseball games in our lifetime. But each one tells a different story with different players coming from different places. And obviously there's always heroes and sometimes there's not heroes in those games too, as well. And that's what it's about those stories. Speaking of that, can you just maybe talk a little bit about um, your experience and kind of what you remember from that 2005 White Sox season when they won the world series? Yeah. I mean, it's funny that team uh, I spent a month. It's, I, I remember getting called into uh, my boss's office that year. That was the first year that uh, Comcast Sportsnet was on the air. So 2005 was our first baseball season. Um, that good way to start <laughs> with that particular network. And there was a big whiteboard and my name was attached to like dates. And it just, 
it just kept everybody else. There was like two people coming in, two people leaving, two people coming in, two people leaving. And the one constant was my name. And I spent like 32 days in Arizona, 24 of which were in Tucson where the White Sox used to train. And I just became, uh, you know, I became really tight with a lot of those guys. Uh, when I left spring training, I, I certainly didn't think uh, I was going to, you know, that it would lead to a world series, but being able to cheer on that, like work for that team and then kind of root for that team. Cause I was like 25. So, I mean, I was living in the city. Uh, it was, you know, it was like everything you would want. And then I was with the team, you know, through the playoffs. And when they won the world series, you know, I was in the clubhouse and like, that was, I remember when that happened, I, I just thought like, if, if it all ends today, like if, if my, if this is it for this part of my career or for this career, I'm good. And I felt that way, you know, and I still feel like as we've been removed almost 16 years now from that, I still, I feel more fortunate now than I do, you know, than I did probably then. Um, I was in the clubhouse the day the Cubs won the World Series too. And so to be, you know, there's a very small pocket of Chicago broadcasters, uh, people in, 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 the, in, in the fraternity, so to speak, that can say that. I mean, you know, that combined almost 100 and almost 200 years without a World <laughs> Series, you know, but to be a part of two of them and one on each side of town, it, you know, there's a lot of highlights, but but that 2005 team was just from a personality standpoint, was just awesome. And the fact that they had no expectations um, nationally, I think made it more fun because the spotlight didn't even shine on that team until they were starting to lose that lead in August and September. And everyone kind of like was rooting for that story from a national perspective. And then the White Sox caught light, you know, just caught fire and never looked back. And um, so, yeah, that team, in a lot of ways is way different than the team that's that's taken the field in 2021. Oh yeah, no, that team was very interesting. What they held a lead for the first 38 games or something like that and, the, and then it whittled down and yeah. it got really tense again and you know, I just kind of remember like, you know, Carl Everett with a two out single. Like that kind of was that team to me of like nothing really flashy but really an underrated squad. And in a strange irony, you were talking about the Cubs as well. It rained in Chicago both those nights. I remember when the when the White Sox won the World Series, it was raining. When the Cubs won the World Series, it was also raining in Chicago. Speaking of that and kind of pushing it a little bit forward to this 2021 team, well, we're going to talk about the excitement. We're going to talk about all the players. But, you know, when you've got this team, this team loaded with talent, White Sox fans have been through a lot over the past couple of years. And you were talking about storytelling. Do you, when you look at this team now, do you kind of reminisce a little bit more about the 05 team? Or do you think more about the bad teams and some of the lean years with this White Sox organization to where they are now heading into what's hopefully going to be a special season? That's a good question. Um, I'd say the latter probably because the 2021 team is just way different. They, they were constructed completely different than 2005. You know, like the White Sox did a lot of like, they always were like a team that was in contention or around 500. And then sometimes that team would, you know, just everything would click and then they'd win a division. And the way they built this thing is way different. And the idea is that the White Sox will be part of the conversation to win the World Series for the next, you know, five. I mean, I'm guaranteeing the next five years, but I mean, it's you could make a case for the next five to seven. And, you know, what's insane is that, they, you know, they've never been to the playoffs in back to back seasons in franchise history. I mean, that's asinine. Like the Pittsburgh Pirates have. I was going to say, thanks a lot, 94 strike. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's things, there, there are reasons. There's mm -hmm. no, and, and 
And certainly, if you go back and look at in history, the White Sox had like 96 win teams that didn't go to the playoffs. But, you know, we're still talking about like the 40s, 50s, 60s. I always, I, I just can't get over that. Like, how the hell did we just continue to be fans? I guess we love misery, right? Sometimes is that is that you are like that second team that just never has like that success. But the year you do, there's just so much focus and attention on it. Um, I think this team, if they were not to make the playoffs this year going forward, something catastrophic happened. And if it's all of them bottoming out in talent, I would say like it would take like a major injury to the rotation and maybe the lineup too. This team is just so loaded and built to win that I think the idea, I mean, we know how baseball is a fluky game, so there's no guarantees. Uh, are they going to be the the 90s Braves that won 15 division titles in a row? I don't think so. But the way the wild cards are set up, uh, this team with just so much firepower. I, I, so to, a long-winded answer to your question would be, I, I don't really see a comparison to, tw- to 2005 just because this team has way more talent than the 2005 White Sox. Now, whether or not they have all of those intangibles, the things that you don't see on the field every day, we'll see. I think their clubhouse chemistry is, I've been been a part of that clubhouse and in that clubhouse a lot. It's elite. Um, but there's a reason they brought in, there's a reason they brought in Tony La Russa. You know, I think accountability is a big thing in baseball. And I think that's a reason why Tony La Russa was brought here for that. And to, when they get to October, know how to get them to the end of October. So yeah, 2005, that team is an outlier, right? Because execution wise, I don't think I ever saw a team do it better in so many different ways. And, you know, just everyone kind of sort of having career years at the same time in that starting rotation in terms of this team this year, everyone's excited. You look at it top to bottom on paper. I'm not going to get into, you know, what are what are the holes or what are the weak spots or concern spots because there's so much to be excited about. It's almost like a Cheesecake Factory menu. So <laughs> if you could pick one thing, what are you going to order on that Cheesecake Factory menu of what's got you most excited about this team right now? Man, that like there's two things. So the lineup, like the lineup had me excited last year. But I mean, look at the lineup this year where like there's no, like we've talked about this in the White Sox Talk podcast. We There's no relief for a pitcher. Like a starting pitcher, you know, normally you get to like that third inning, you're like, okay, like here's a seven, eight, nine. Like at least there's a guy in here I should be able to kind of, you know, groove one. He's going to roll into it, roll under it, and then he'll be out. I mean, you're talking about the White Sox having like a seven, eight, nine that could look like Andrew Vaughn, Adam Eaton, and Nick Madrigal just guys that like piss you off and like they have different, com- completely different at bats than Aloy Jimenez or Jose Abreu. And there's just so much attitude in that line. There's just the length in the lineup is, you know, I I'm close with Frank Thomas and, and, and Frank has compared this to, um, you know, the 93, 94 teams you mentioned 94, like the talent level being that high on this team. And I mean, in, in, in certainly in my lifetime, like those two White Sox teams where Frank went back-to-back MVPs, they remind me, those teams remind me more of this team than 2005 because those teams had a lot of homegrown guys, a lot of guys that they drafted, brought in through the system, the Venturas, the Alex Fernandez's, the Frank Thomases, and then added veteran pieces like Tim Raines and Ellis Burks and made a trade for George Bell. It didn't really work out that way for the White Sox, but like they brought in guys 
and like Jack McDowell. I mean, so many of their own guys. And then they just brought in all these perfect pieces to help push, push them over the top. Like that reminds me of this team. But I'll say that the bullpen is definitely get. I said this the other day. It's it's it's, it's sick. It's disgusting. It's crazy to think that like when Lucas Giolito is starting, that I still can't wait to see the bullpen because I want to see how Tony Larusa uses it. The options down there, and then you add you add Michael Kopak and Garrett Crochet to that mix. I mean, very similar to starting pitcher not getting relief in the lineup. Who wants to, what hitters lining up in like the seventh inning going, yeah, I'll take crochet followed by Aaron bummer. And then just the nastiness of Liam Hendricks. I think today, I mean, it's on paper, but it's hard to say the white Sox don't have the best bullpen in baseball. Just following up on crochet real quick. Do you think he's going to have a defined role as in, you know, an an inning that they're going to kind of peg for him to kind of get his work in, or could he be the guy of, on any given day, the opposition is maybe putting a little pressure on the White Sox. This stops right now. We're bringing in Crochet. How do you think they might utilize him? I, I don't know if he'll necessarily have like the sixth inning. I think he's more of that Swiss Army knife that you mentioned. Um, and I kind of feel the same way about Kopech. Those two guys just give you options that very few teams, like most base, most teams probably are just an envy. Because even if, like let's say in a doubleheader, for instance, like they get a they get a doubleheader, and instead of bringing up a pitcher to start that game, they bring it up an extra bat to add to the roster because you get that extra position player. Then they start Garrett Crochet or they start Michael Kopech. So they they could go two innings with Crochet, two innings with Kopech. All of a sudden you're in the fifth inning, and you're talking about bullpen guys falling into their roles and never even having a a starter. So because the, the long term solution for for crochet and the long-term plan for crochet and Kopech is that they will be starters come 2022 this is just like there's there's so many socks you know fans that like on, on twitter that fill up my timeline and like what this is a waste of them i'm like are you out of your mind like look at how many guys came up this way and were dominant bullpen pieces on championship teams and then fell in to be great starters i mean it, you can go on and on and on with the amount of guys that did this and this is like at this point, there's no benefit to putting Garrett Crochet or Michael Kopech in AAA unless they are just completely imploding, because there's they need to be here to experience this type of winning with this group of like with this group of guys. They're both there's no AAA doesn't serve them any purpose as of right now. And so what it sounds like to me is you're thinking Kopech may be more out of the bullpen at first because you got to worry about how many bullets you're going to use for him this season. You can't have him starting maybe right out of the gate. A lot of people are talking about that fifth starter. Who's going to be Ronaldo, Rodon, so on and so forth. I do want to talk about kind of a story that I don't think people are paying a lot of attention to. I want to get your take on Dylan Cease, a guy who I thought performed pretty well, all things considered last year. You know, of course, you know, he was the guy that would, he feels like a John Garland to me, cruising a little bit, those three sparkling innings, that fourth inning, maybe he gets two outs. And the next thing you know, a couple guys get on base, it kind of falls apart a little bit. Are we kind of sleeping on Dylan Cease's potential? What do you uh, what do you like about his game, and what do you think he can do this season? Interesting comp, John Garland. That's the first time I've heard that. Um, yeah, not not in stuff and style, but just the way that he's no, at the I point like in his career. No, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I like. I don't. I don't hate it because you, if you remember, there was always this expectation for Garland for like three, four years, and then you kind of 
fell into like, okay, well, Garland's probably more of a four or five. And then all of a sudden he goes 18, 18 in terms of back-to-back seasons. Once goes to an all-star team. Yeah. Cease definitely has better stuff and better makeup than, than Garland. Um, I mean, his fastball is 9,900. Here's what I'm most, I'm most excited about Dylan Cease and it's Ethan Katz, the new pitching coach. It's the guy he talks about the most. There have been multiple guys, including Yasmani Grandal, who is like a coach on the field who, I mean, Yasmani Grandal said he could be a Cy Young finalist and win the Cy Young. I mean, that's insane praise for a guy that has yet to take that huge leap. I think he's thrown 125 plus innings in the big leagues. Cease is definitely an X factor on this team because you know what you have in your front on those top three guys in Giolito and Keuchel and Lance Lynn with a big acquisition. Cease is going to be that fourth guy, but, but if he gets to a point where he's remotely like any of those top three, now you're the, the, the rotation questions, which are valid right now, completely go away, regardless of who the five starter is. Because if you have four studs now, then it's just, it doesn't really matter once you get to the postseason because that's, that's all you need. And Ethan Katz has talked a lot about Cease in his lower half, how last year and looking at him in the first two seasons uh, on film is that he was opening up too much and he was throwing too much with his upper half and it was not allowing him to follow through with, which is why you'd see there'd be a lot, he'd have games where he'd have five or six walks in two and two thirds. That's the kind of stuff that I'm excited about. Ethan Katz, don't like, Tip your cap to Don Cooper. I mean, very few people are, are pitching coaches for 20-plus years. I personally have thought the Sox have needed a fresh voice for the last two to three years. Um, so I'm glad that they brought in a forward-thinking guy, a guy who embraces metrics and analytics and who has worked with guys like Giolito in the past. Um, I, I think that's what's interesting about Tony LaRusso's staff is that it really is a nice, healthy mix of you know, old versus young back to old school and new school and this kind of hybrid model of not too much analytics, not too much old school, and maybe kind of that needle that should be right in a balance of both. So I think you're right. I think Dylan Cease, you know, he's 40 to one to win the Cy Young, which I think is interesting. He's even which tells me somebody's, and part of it's because of the expectations of the White Sox, but you know, that's, I've taken note of that. I may even throw a sprinkle of, I may even splash that a little bit just to have the, uh, just to have the ticket. Yeah. Why not? Just a quick little payout. And you just, you just mentioned something that I think is spreading throughout this entire team, which I think is just so intriguing. You just mentioned the coaching staff blending young and old, you know, look at this offensive lineup, right? For every single Luis Robert, there's a Jose Abreu forever. Eloy Jimenez, there's a Yasmani Grandal. So there's guys with all the talent in the world still trying to prove themselves and take their game to the next level, while there's also guys that are, you know, more or less metronomes, right? Guys that are able to produce year in and year out and bring that kind of stability. Let's take a quick break and have a brief moment to talk about our new sponsor, eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for at eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to cop the best pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp 
of what did I say? Authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees and sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Now back to the pod. I got to ask because Tim Anderson, right? Homegrown guy. I think, you know, during the lean years, I think we maybe had a little bit of a skepticism, maybe based on, we just wanted it. We wanted it. Now we wanted the one guy to kind of pan out when he made it to the major leagues, he leads the league in hitting. You kind of say to yourself, okay, well, is that an anomaly? Is he going to come back to earth? No, no, no. He just keeps getting better each and every single year. The sky's the limit for him. So what are your expectations for Tim Anderson this year? I think he's an MVP candidate. I think he is. I think incredible. He's the straw that serves the drink. Like when he's out, look at that team. That team is different without, he's the heartbeat, man. He's, he's, he, he drives the bus and there's no one that can back that. Like there's no replacement for that guy. So, you know, when Tim Anderson's out of the lineup, the rest of the lineup, there's an impact. And those players are hard to put a true value on because it's one thing that he's leading the league in hitting, but when he's, What's interesting about Tim Anderson, you know, I mentioned the 40 to one thing on, on Dylan Seas. If you told me four or five years ago that Tim Anderson would be like the voice of the White Sox and like on the, on the face of video games and the bat flips and all this stuff that he's brought the spotlight to the White Sox, I would have said there is no damn way that that's possible. Because let's be fair, he was a 240 hitter and he was committing like 25 errors a year. And we we saw a lot of potential and we were hoping that he could be above average player, but we were thinking more Sean Dunstan. We weren't thinking, as you're mentioning, like an MVP candidate, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, but not just that. He was super, when he came up here, he was super quiet. He was, mm. he, he really, even his interviews, very, you know, seven to 10 second sound bites. He wants to be great now. Like he, he will tell you, that he wants to be known as one of the best athletes to ever walk through the city of Chicago. And he knows who's walked through here. He's very, he knows the history. He lives here. Tim Anderson is the heartbeat of the Chicago White Sox. And that is a fact. I will debate it with anybody who wants to, but you can't because he is that important to the team, which is why he finished seventh last year in the MVP race. I think it, the Sox, if, assuming they're going to do what we think they'll do, they're going to have a lot of guys. Like they're going to be stealing votes from each other. So I don't even know if one will win the MVP. But I do think Tim Anderson has created enough noise the last two seasons that it's woken up baseball. It's put a spotlight in, in Chicago on the, on the opposite side of town for once. And I think Tim Anderson, and this is saying this is after Jose Abreu won the MVP. I still think Tim Anderson is responsible for bringing notoriety to this to this White Sox team. Biggest surprise career arc-wise, Tim Anderson or Jimmy Butler? Like a guy who came out of nowhere and after a couple years was one thing, but just kept pushing, kept incrementally progressing, and literally mm. went to a point that I don't think any of us saw coming. Here's what I'll say. I love this. This is a this is good. Uh, you said biggest surprise? Yeah, just in terms of how where, where they started, where they are, and maybe what I, year- I think probably Tim, but those are, I mean, those are unbelievable. Like those two are more alike than anything that, than, than they are different. I mean, this chip on their shoulder, you know, upbringing, like a lot. I mean, what they do for the communities, uh, when the game's on the line, that's really good, man. Like that is, 
I love that. I, I'm going to say Tim because we saw the early body of work kind of lead us to questions. Even though Jimmy also was kind of a slow riser, Jimmy showed flashes kind of earlier than Tim, I want, I, I think. I think it's fair to say. But today, I think those, I give me, if you give me those two guys in any game, basketball, baseball, I guarantee you, if the game is on the line with five minutes to go, I feel pretty good about my chances. Yeah, they could switch sports and I'd be into it. Like if Tim Anderson was playing <laughs> basketball, I wouldn't put it past him. I just think as a Chicago sports fan, I think those are the type of athletes that I think Chicagoans really can rally around. Yeah. You know, not just not just personalities or bat flips or whatever it is. It's just for me, one year there's something. They go out, they work, they come back, they show you that progress. And we as Chicagoans appreciate that work that they put in. And them, them wanting to be great. And it gets to the point in their career where it's just the sky's the limit. You know what I mean? Like, what, what is he, he going to add to his game this year? It's just kind of that thing. And I just think that's why Tim Anderson is, if he's not already a superstar, he's probably already on his way. Um, let me pivot a, a real quick. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions before we get you out of here. Super happy to have Ryan McGuffey here on Believe in Betting Chicago. Let's do a nerdy one real quick. Who's got the inside track on the backup catcher right now? That's a great question because, I mean, they're all performing so well. Um, no one right now has, has played themselves out of the race. I can tell you that. I love Zach Collins. I mean, there, there, is a, there is a very small group of people yelling from that island. And I just don't think he's given, been given a fair shake with the White Sox for whatever reason. It's not necessarily his fault. I mean, yes, Monty Grandal is one of the best catchers in the game, the White Sox identified that and made him a target last year and got him and that changed Zach's career path. They also tells you what they think about Zach as a long-term, you know, the answer at number one, his bat. If you look at Zach Collins, the last full year he played in Charlotte in 2019, like those numbers jump off the page, a lot of home runs high on base guy. He knows what he's doing at the plate. He homered in uh, two uh, Wednesday's game uh, to the opposite field against Kansas city. Your mean Mercedes, you know, I think he's kind of the guy everyone like loves to root for. They're they're all aging. I mean, he's they're I think Zach's 26. I think your means 27. I think they both have one option left. And then you have Jonathan Lucroy, who's like the aging guy that they brought in a minor league deal. And I I was a part of the Zoom when he first joined the team. And I sent a text to uh, a couple of our White Sox people here at ABC Sports, and I just said, you know. And within five minutes, I'm like, if, assuming Luke Croy is healthy and he doesn't go 0 for 40 in spring, like he'll make the team because he just, you could see why they brought him in. Uh, he fits well with like, I think a Tony La Russa type team. They, 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 they demand a lot from their catchers. You know, look at Yadi Molina uh, when La Russa was there. Obviously, Asmani Grandal, I said, is already the coach on the field. What I thought was interesting, if he, had we talked three days ago, I would have told you that I, I, I thought that three catchers would make the team. They have the 26 man roster. Now I thought Zach to me was a guy like I'd like the left-handed option, but then Tony La Russa poo-pooed that yesterday. So he really didn't see much of a scenario where there would be three catchers because he likes the flexibility like of taking, if you take away that person who can play like a Larry Garcia, for instance, or a Danny Mendick or something. Yeah. yeah, Somebody who can play four or five positions. You can put them in left field. You can put them at second base. I don't think LaRusso wants to get rid of an option like that. So right now I'm going to say Jonathan Lucroy. My heart wants Zach Collins, 
because I just don't think he's been given an opportunity. At least if he's given the backup catcher, he knows he's going to start two games a week, probably maybe get a DH game in there. Right now, he's just kind of been a guy who's come up. He sporadically gets at bats. Then he goes, then they don't, they have him on the roster for three weeks. He doesn't play. Then they put him in a pinch hitting role. You know, I, maybe Zach's future isn't with the White Sox. Maybe like the only way he could truly get on the field is with another organization. But I'm a guy who certainly would love to see him get a fair shake. But today, I'm going to say it's Lou Croy. Yeah, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, if they go with the veteran experience, what do you need on that day off when Grandel takes the day off? You just want a good called game. The other thing, real quick, to interrupt you, Joey, is that he's been working primarily with with Lucas Giolito, which should tell you a lot. You know, yes, so that should. That that's you know that that was James McCann's relationship with Lucas, and now they've had Lucroy and Gio working together. So I mean, you know, do the math. Yeah, that's definitely some food for thought there. And I'm also now you brought up Larry Garcia and I'm like, God, that's right. He's coming off the bench. Holy yeah. cow. That's finally where he should be. Well, I mean, but uh, it's going to be a perfect role for him, right? I mean, no, it's it really like is. Souped up Pablo said, Azuna. You know what I mean? It's going to be crazy. I, I, I used to say that Larry Garcia would be a guy that Joe Madden would love when the Cubs yes. were because I'm like, he just would do so many things for that team in a double switch scenario. Like he just would be, he, I always said he was Ricky's favorite player, but this we're actually he's actually survived on this roster long enough to be in the perfect role, which is coming off the bench, spot starting. He's gonna and he's a he's another guy who's just a tough out off the bench. He knows what he's doing. Uh, we got two more for you. First one is there is a lot of buzz going on about Andrew Vaughn. I will be I'm gonna give you a little background. Last year during the shortened season, I thought we should have had Andrew Vaughn up with the team. I, I love the guy. I think that everything that checks every box seems like he's ready to start taking major league at bats right now now from the organization they're really pumping him up and they want him to play a huge role on this team what's your take on Andrew Vaughn right now are you at all can you be concerned with a young player being kind of forced into what we would consider a heavy workload are you worried about you know him going once hitting 170 in the first month and maybe that kind of hurting that type of position what's your take on what they're doing with Andrew Vaughn right now well I was very vocal on our podcast about Andrew Vaughn not being the DH because I thought that was too much to put on him. He's never had an at bat above high A. But that being said, I'm coming around because I've seen enough already in the first week of spring training games to understand what they've seen behind the scenes. Not playing last year at the minor league level only kind of robbed us from seeing truly who made how close he really was getting that alternate site and those at bats against major league pitchers. You know, that's the stuff necessarily that I didn't see. I thought there was an opportunity to add. However, they know the talent of Andrew Vaughn. The one thing I'll say about the, about Vaughn is normally in circumstances like this, when you're bringing up a number three pick, there's so much attention on him, right? Like there's, there's, there's expectation. There's you're the number three pick. You're, you're usually going to hit in the middle of the lineup, but not on this team, on this team, he can learn, he can struggle and he can let the other eight guys in the lineup who know what they're doing. all be the guy. He can go over four and no one's going to talk about it because they're going to win six to three and somebody homered and another guy drove in three. That's a great call. And Andrew Vaughn can learn and take his grow, you know, like have the growing pains that he's going to have and face as the season progresses. You mentioned hitting 170. He might, he might hit 170 in April or he might hit 170 in June. 
he might not. Like, he might just hit 270, 20 homers, and 80 RBI and just be like, okay. And as you said, hit seventh. Hit seventh right, in the hit, lineup. Yeah. Yeah. Like, legit hit. Like, there's no reason I would put him any higher than seventh right now. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's the kind of talent this team has. And now, like, I'm okay. To, I, I'll admit when I'm wrong. And, and even Rick Hahn one day, a couple of weeks ago, had mentioned, I know some of you guys have said Andrew Vaughn, you know, hasn't had that bat above single A. I love it. Like, call, don't be, like, say the things you want to say, but also come around and say, like, I'm, I'm seeing it. And, you know, he had a three-run homer the other day, and the guys who were on base were Yoan Mankata and Jose Abreu. Because pitchers are going, let me face my Vaughn. Those two guys, I know what they're going to get. And then look what Vaughn does. That's what I, there's zero relief. And like, if Andrew Vaughn is the relief in the lineup, Andrew Vaughn is going to be damn good DH. I was just going to say, I've got this image in my head of hopefully he's coming up to the plate and Luis Roberts on second base. You know what I mean? A, a third yeah. of the time or whatever it is. Right. Let's get you out of here on this. Um, my favorite part about this White Sox team right now is, you know, typically when we're talking about these expectations, White, uh, World Series are bust you know, how many games they're going to win, all that stuff. You kind of think about generally that is the type of team that is going to be a buyer at the trade deadline. Yeah. So you kind of always look at the team and, you know, sometimes a team enters into a season without an ace. We don't have that problem. Sometimes like the Cubs of 2016, they enter a season without a real closer, not the problem. My favorite part about this White Sox team is what they would maybe go after would be a corner outfielder. And that's like one of the cheapest commodities you could probably go out and acquire at the deadline. The guy who's just swinging the stick hot in July or, you know what I mean? Heading into August, you hear the rumors about Jonas Cespedes right now. I personally think like a guy like maybe Nick Castellanos could be, you know, this is all just considering, you know, Eaton's health, you know, the, yeah. the, the Adam, the Adam rotation there. Does it fully work out? Is that what they really want? You know, what do you see moving forward? Is there a place where they could try and add, you know, and what would maybe be that place that they would try and fortify as they get a little bit deeper into the season? It's funny. Usually contenders are adding bullpen pieces, like any part of the bullpen. I, that part, I'm going to rule right now today I'm in, in the first week of March, I'll rule that out. I will, I'll, I'll, but I do think if I had to pick one spot right now where they would add at the deadline, it would probably be like a veteran arm in the rotation. But again, we don't like, who knows? Kopech may take a jump, you know? Uh, he may leap him like there's so much what we here's what we know about Carlos Rodon and Ronaldo Lopez. We know that you can't count on them. So until we can start counting on them, you have to expect that you can't, which opens up a spot. And so to me, there's going to, you mentioned corner outfielder, which I, the only thing, the only way I say that they would go out with a corner outfielder is if health was the reason for that. I think Adam Eaton's a good player. I think he's going to be good for this team in a lot of ways. Assuming so, if we're just assuming health, you know, you also have Adam Engel coming off the bench. Like you have guys now. I like those. I like Nick Castellanos. If Andrew Vaughn is hitting 175 at the at the deadline or at the turn of July, you know, I think another bat for sure. I think 100 percent. Like they would add a veteran guy, a veteran bat who's on on an expiring deal or maybe has one year left. Um, so that those would be my two like today my two picks would be a veteran arm probably on a one year deal and a veteran bat only if Andrew Vaughn is truly struggling or Adam Eaton is unhealthy. 
Right. And those are all, you know, we're just speculating. We're just spitballing right right now. We have no idea what's going to happen. You could probably then tamp down the the scuttlebutt about a Jonas Cespedes type guy coming in or, you know, I'm out on that. I think the White Sox being a part of the showcase, I think is just telling you like they're doing their due diligence, but I don't want the baggage of Jonas Cespedes. Don't get me wrong. The talent you know, they've always been linked to Jonas Cespedes. They just picked up one of his relatives, you know, with international dollars. That's but right. I don't, I feel like that time has come. I mean, the guy left his, that, it, I don't care if he opted out last year. The way he opted out was wrong. He just walked out of the team hotel. They had to send people to even see where he was. Um, you know, there's plenty of baggage he had with the Mets and that that deal. He always was about him and showing off the, showing up to spring training and some sexy way with a camera following him this this team is not that, we got enough right we got enough of, are done enough personality it's, right yeah it's one thing to have great personality when it matters like when the team has the personality but if you're doing it for your own like we're not looking for a 34 year old guy to come in here and be the face like either so that's why i just don't think there's a fit for cespedes i don't yeah i read that it didn't make any sense either because why did he leave the mets right he was bitching about at bats and that's probably the yeah. one thing that he's going to have to come in and agree that he won't be guaranteed so yeah. non-starter right so non-starter non-starter uh, yeah. ryan mcguffey nbc sports chicago man thank you so much it's great to finally get you on the pod please uh, tell everyone how they can find white Sox talk podcast yeah anywhere you find podcasts uh don't be afraid to listen to both of ours. Um, the White Sox Talk podcast we drop every Tuesday and Thursday, and then as news breaks, we have breaking po- or we have emergency podcasts all the time. Spring training now that the season's getting ramped up, you know, sometimes we drop them multiple times a week. But every Tuesday and Thursday, uh, literally wherever you can find podcasts, the White Sox Talk podcast is there for you. Well, I appreciate you coming on and bringing the expertise, and I can only imagine that that expertise probably extends to every single episode of White Sox Talk Podcast. This is definitely something you should check it out. Ryan McGuffey, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime. Absolutely, Joy. Anytime. Uh, and I'm, I'm, like I said, uh, it was a long time coming for the two of us to get together, but happy to be on with you and happy to do it anytime. Hey, at long last. It's all good. It's all good, man. This is Believe in Betting Chicago with Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Make sure you go on your mobile device to head to betonline.ag to get 50% off your security deposit. And also, thank you so much for listening to this pod today. we got more stuff coming up next week. Thank you so much for listening to this one. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.